Welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays, the weekly webinar where thought leaders discuss the latest in PR tech. If it's Wednesdays, it's PR Tech Wednesdays. Welcome back. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. I started this community last year to bring us together once a week to talk about developments in marketing and PR, but the pandemic has rapidly propelled our growth. I had to increase our web hosting capacity yesterday because of slow page load times from concurrent user sessions. Uh, the slower a page loads, the lower it ranks in Google's organic search results. If you want to test out your own page load times, uh, you can get a Google Search Console account and run a quick test. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. It's free. Uh, admission to the live chat is capped to the first 100 sign-ins, but you can catch the live stream on Periscope at Eric Schwartzman on YouTube Live or on Facebook Live. Uh, for those who like podcasts, you can subscribe to the audio replay on iTunes or Spotify. Just search PR Tech Wednesdays. And you can sign up and access all those links at PRTechWednesdays.com. Um, if you sign up, you get emails to links to the replays as well. Um, I also write detailed blog posts about these conversations with links to the resources discussed at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. So you can subscribe to that for access to bonus content. Our guest today is Martin Waxman. He's an instructor with LinkedIn Learning, formerly lynda.com, where he teaches courses on digital marketing and public relations. He's a senior advisor at spinsucks.com, and he's an expert in the use of artificial intelligence for marketing and PR. Martin, welcome. Well, thank you, Eric. Great to be here. And it's so funny because we had this face-to-face -face chat when I was in LA earlier in the year in January, when we were talking about this, May 1 seemed like a long way off. And I certainly never would have imagined that, you know, we'd be in this situation. I don't think any of us ever thought it would be like this. And I think it really underscores the importance of digital communications these days, because that's what we have pretty much. Well, um, you know, digital customer acquisition is now everybody's concern. Um, and there are five types of traffic, organic referral, search, email, and direct. Of those five, which source do you think delivers your best traffic? The answer is always going to be organic traffic. Users trust Google and top ranking sites get more clicks. What that means is that people that arrive to your website through Google organic search, visit more pages, stay longer, and convert at a higher frequency rate. Uh, yet most people still don't know the basics of SEO. No. Um, I created a short video course on the basics of SEO for PR. And before things get busy, you can invest in yourself and learn the basics of SEO. If you're listening to this live, you can get the video course for free. Uh, the basics of SEO for PR until the end of today's session at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Um, sign up now and get lifetime access. Again, the basics of SEO for PR is available, is available for free for the next hour at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Now, we do a segment called uh, Bookstagram of the Week, and I wanted to change that up today. And instead of featuring a book, I want to talk about an essay. This week, I wanted to share a short passage uh, from an essay by best-selling, award-winning author, Arantadi Roy. Uh, and this is from the conclusion. 
Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies. Or we can walk through lightly, with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. I I think her message is powerful and inspirational. Uh, Instead of a return to normalcy, this idea of a portal to a better future. Noah built an ark to survive the flood and had to decide what to save. So what will you put into your vessel for the voyage to the new world? What will you preserve? What will you shed? How will you reinvent yourself, your clients and your brand? What will you bring with you? Make it intentional. Make this a time of renewal by renewing yourself, your capabilities, your know-how for the digital future. And let's get started. The chat room is open for networking. There are no restrictions. So please use it as your back channel to interact with each other. This is your community. You know, real world events that we produce and go to are multidimensional. We use our head and our eyes to sort of see different things. But here on Zoom, we really only see one thing. You see me, you see Martin, and that's it. So in addition to learning about digital marketing trends from Martin, Learn to adapt the types of events you produce to this digital format by using the back channel to communicate amongst yourselves. And let's try to figure out together what works and what doesn't among friends and colleagues. This is a place where there are no stupid questions. Um, This is a safe place to ask any question you want. Questions go in the Q&A area. Chat goes in the chat area. And be ready to come on screen and ask your question live. I'll promote you to a panelist and you'll come on screen and join into the video chat. Um, If you're just joining us, stick around for the special announcement at the end of the uh, session about bonus content. I think you'll enjoy. Martin, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Great, Great opening and honestly, really interesting question because how are we going to reinvent ourselves after this and and our organizations. It's something I think a lot of us um, need to think about. And I think something that we were chatting about yesterday is the whole notion of digital acceleration, like all these things that have been happening, Zoom calls, for example, or video conferencing, it's going to be accelerated a lot more. uh, A friend of mine shared a job posting with me and a PR agency in Toronto where I'm based has an ad out and they are looking for a full-time nurse to be there at the agency to take people's temperatures, to make sure that they're healthy, that everything's disinfected properly. And honestly, that's something when I had my agency, I never would have thought that that might be something I would need. And I think what it did is it made me think that, okay, right. We really have to rethink the way we approach business face-to-face as we start to come back, but also, you know, how do we work in digital and uh, flexibility and adaptability? You know, it's funny. One of the things we do so often for our clients is try to promote them as thought leaders. And, you know, being a thought leader has risk because you have to lead with a thought. 
And if you lead with a thought, you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Things are changing so quickly right now, but this really is an opportunity to offer leadership, to offer hope, to offer guidance, to offer direction. So, so just to kick it off, you know, in the world of digital marketing, you know, what are the problems that people want help with right now? I think in some ways they're the, the same problems that they always wanted help with, except, you know, if you think about, you wrote this great post uh, for Spin Sucks not too long ago about using Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but applying it to communications and uh, startups and how they're growing. And I think if we look to Maslow's hierarchy now that we can think that right now we're looking for some of the basics, food, right? Can we get food delivered to us? Are there safe places that we can buy it? So I think organizations, brands, agencies, consultants need to be more concerned about how what they do will address people's maybe more basic needs and and hopefully lead them up the path rather than just focusing on, uh, you know, hey, we're selling this or we're providing that we can help you with this. How can you go almost a step before that and just be there? For your customers. And, and it's not easy. I look, my dad, I come from a retail background. My dad uh, started and ran two fabric and drapery stores. And I worked there my whole life. And I, I learned so much about dealing with clients and customers from him because he approached his store as a community. And he was always there to help first. So help people, even if it meant he didn't get the sale that time. He was thinking much more long-term with those relationships. And I think that paid off for him. And certainly it will pay off now thinking about, you know, how we can use this moment of time to help customers. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, But when you think about the narrative of digital marketing, you know, it starts with generating some demand, getting people to go somewhere and take some sort of action that you want them to take so that then you can develop them or nurture them and try to convert them into some sort of a revenue opportunity of some kind. Um, Yet, you know, so many of us come to that equation thinking really just about generating the demand. And then once we've generated the demand, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with it? We need a landing page. We need to learn that. So it's like, if you were to walk early on into a room of folks looking at digital marketing and say, Hey, I can help you with landing pages. They would say, well, we don't need that now. We just need to know how to generate demand. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so in, in some cases, you know, the landing page is sort of the known unspoken problem. And then the spoken problem is, well, we need social media. We need a way to generate demand. So what sort, when you think about the questions people ask in your courses and your interactions with clients and the things you write about and the things that rank, you know, where are we with respect to known spoken problems and known unspoken problems? Well, I think we probably have a good idea of the past known spoken problems. I think with the whole notion of unspoken problems, we're all trying to figure that out as we go along because um, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, that's become a cliche to say that these days. One of the things that I think can help a lot is social listening as a first step. And it really is a first step in any type of digital marketing, but really paying attention and listening first rather than speaking. And I think to traditional PR, which is my background, 
And the whole idea of the message, it's all about the message. It's all about the message. What we have to say, you know, kind of pushing it out. Really, I think that has become flipped with social media, but now it's even more important to listen first, listen intently, and figure out what conversations are going on out there and how you can answer them or help or Maybe you can't. Maybe there, there are some things that you probably should stay away from for now. Uh, just because people are upset and you can't help. I mean, they need comfort. They need, um, we all need comfort, right? And we need reassurance. We need hope, but we also don't need things sugar-coated. So it, it's a fine balance with organizations balancing, you know, hey, it's going to be great tomorrow with what can we do today? And I think, yeah, you, you've got to listen. You've got to listen intently. You've got to look at the keywords you're paying attention to and finding out what the new pain points are. And then looking through what you have in your content marketing arsenal and how you can adapt. Can you take a blog post you did a year ago and maybe republish it in a way that's more relevant for today? When you, so so in, in your LinkedIn courses, yeah. people can ask questions, right? Yeah. Have those questions changed since the pandemic? Not yet. And it's interesting, but I'll, I'll tell you what seems to have changed is a lot more people are sharing, a lot more of the people who are taking the courses are sharing it online. And so that gives me an opportunity to interact with them and to say, hey, do you have any questions about the course? Now, in most cases, people are just happy to be acknowledged and happy that someone heard them. I think that's something that all brands um, can learn from, you know, that, that sometimes the beginning of a conversation is just a hello and hi, you know, what are you doing? What's it like for you? How are things going for you? Thing, things like that. So the questions haven't changed that much. So um, I'm going to give you three sort of common services around digital marketing today. And I want you to tell me which ones you think most people think they need to know or most people think they need to do. Content marketing, social media marketing, SEO. That's a great one because I was thinking about that. And I'm going to give you a cop-out answer, which is all three. I really do think all three work together. And if you go back to Ginny Dietrich's PESO model, which is paid, earned, shared, and owned media, and how you integrate all of that, um, content marketing and SEO, you know, they, they really work together. I think, again, I said this earlier, it starts with listening and then having an idea about what people are looking for and then trying to craft the kind of content that you're creating. You know, you, you mentioned organic content. Absolutely. If you, if you have the kind of content that people um, find when they type in a question, that's great. Because, you know, all of a sudden you're being really relevant. I think understanding SEO, which is really changing and getting far, far, far more complex with the, uh, with the, really with semantic search, which understands the relationship between words versus, you know, what we used to have Boolean where you ask a question and it will give you A plus B. So if you search for Martin Waxman, for example, in the past, you get Martin plus Waxman and uh, Martin Short, who you're probably familiar with, uh, who's a comedian, 
Uh, there was a comedian in Canada, Al Waxman, and so they would always come up and search when you search for me. Now, Google recognizes that I'm a person and, in fact, is using artificial intelligence to understand the context of my search even more. So that's why I think it's really important for us to understand search, not necessarily from an SEO specialist perspective, but from a uh, content first perspective. Um, how can you frame your content in uh, a way that, you know, shows up with people, shows up for people because you're answering their questions. And like Martin, that. when you look at sort of how well people in public relations understand these different concepts, you know, uh, content marketing, social media marketing, and SEO, how would you rank uh, our industry in terms of readiness against those three? Do you have negative numbers here? Because I think we're below this guy. I think we're pretty bad. I think at content marketing, we're not bad. We're not bad at stories and content. I don't think we're great at uh, digital media or or social media marketing, really, because we're not still, we still, I think too many of us operate with an earned first mindset rather than with a content first mindset. So if someone else says it's great, it must be great. Whereas really we need to shift that a little bit, know what needs to be amplified, understand the basics of amplification uh, through paid. And I think in terms of SEO, we have uh, blinders on, and I don't understand it because from my perspective, SEO should be a function that PR handles. I, I, I really don't get it. And in fact, SEO firms call it, you know, link earning, which sounds a lot like earned media, you know, you try to get a more credible site, a site with higher domain authority to link to you. It sounds sort of like a version of media relations. Like, why don't, why aren't we dominating that? Why aren't we coming up? I have an idea on that. So talking to Anna Lebedeva, who's the head of growth for SEM Rush. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in addition to this, I do a performance marketing podcast called the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. And the new episode is basically her opening her B2B content marketing playbook, telling us what works, what doesn't. SEM Rush. I mean, they've got hard data. You know, you would think that they would really know what they're doing. And she said something really interesting. She was talking about international digital marketing. And she said, you know, I can't repurpose an English language post into German or Scandinavian languages because those markets want data. They want hard data. And the U.S. market, English-speaking language market of the people I sell to are resistant to quantitative data. And if you think about sort of Western education, particularly in the, in the U.S., you know, there's two scores on the SAT. There's the math score and the English score. Yeah. And so we sort of think of ourselves as math or English people from a kid's based on how we score there. Yeah. You know, I scored better on English, so I kind of told, told myself the story, oh, I'm an English person. And actually, you know, just to be frank. I mean, I sat with tears in my eyes trying to figure out algebra two. You know, my brother helped me. I barely made it through the course. I was terrible at it, but I understood geometry, you know, cause it's spatial and that I got, and I really, I get SEO. I get the basic ideas of it, but I think uh, having taught like you SEO to so many 
language people who tell themselves I'm a language person, people are very resistant to it. You know, their eyes sort of glaze over. They don't like the concepts of inbound links and circular logic and any of that. I mean, I'm living proof that you can learn SEO, but I think generally people that gravitate to public relations and marketing and communications, maybe not on the marketing side as much, but certainly on the PR side, are people that say, you know what, I don't want to deal with numbers. And and SEO makes me deal with numbers, so I don't want to do it. Yeah, I went into this because I'm no good at math. Right. I hate math. I know, but you know what? First of all, communications people don't need to know how to write a complex algorithm, but we do need to understand the basics of analytics and data. And it's something that, you know, we shy away from. How do you look at a page of results in Google, you know, the back end using Google analytics and try to discover trends and go, oh, wow. Look at that correlation. This is where AI can come in because the more data you have, it can look and find patterns and uh, that we might not have been able to see. But there are some things that we certainly can see if we're not afraid to just dip our toes into the water of numbers. And uh, part of that is just getting familiar with some of the basic tools like Excel or Google Sheets and not using them um, for strictly critical, you know, for developing a critical path, for example. Okay, this stuff has to be done. Like, let's figure out, you know, if you have these uh, data points, how can you look at them? How can you find out what the mean is or the median? What is the mean or average, you know, or the median above which, you know, you have everything uh, below that number is every, you know, it's the middle number where half is below and half is above. You know, all of those are important things for us to figure out. And we can do that through basic statistics courses that we can get online for free. But I think it's incumbent on us as uh senior communicators or communications people to start to pay attention to statistics. And really, if you, if you understand even the basics of statistics, you'll understand more about artificial intelligence because AI is just statistical predictions. That's all it is at its core. Now, it's really, really complex how it gets to them. But knowing that, it suddenly opens your eyes and minds to how some AI decisions are arrived at. Hey, um, if you're, you know, using SEO as a value add for your clients, if you are, you know, learning SEO, if you know SEO, or if you don't know SEO, if it's, go ahead and let us know in the chat room. You are, you are doing SEO. Hi, Alice. Hi, Amy. Hi, Beth. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Elisa. And welcome, a big welcome to Karen North. We have the head of the online communities program with USC Annenberg on with us today. Welcome. We have Jonna Burke on with us. Welcome, Jonna. Jonna. So many others. Um, I want to hear from you guys. You know, what do, are you doing SEO? Is SEO part of your lexicon? Or is it like, you know, no, we don't do it because we don't get paid for it. That's another thing. I mean, people don't necessarily come through the door to a PR agency and say, hey, I want SEO. They go to an SEO shop for that. Yeah. So, and it's another job. I mean, you can't just, you know, write news and then not SEO it afterwards. Yeah, it, it, and it's a missed opportunity. Um, I know Serena Ehrlich, who does content for Business Wire, uh, 
One of the things she said in a presentation was that think about your headline as a URL. How does that headline show up as a URL or a permalink? Because that's how it's discovered. Something that a lot of us don't necessarily think about. Can I share one SEO tool that I'm sure a lot of people use, but it's just, I, I think it's one of the best ones around. You want to put it on the screen? Uh, no, just talk about it. Yoast. Okay, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Y-O-A-S-T, which is a plugin, a free plugin that you can get for WordPress. It is incredible because what it does is it gamifies SEO. You choose your keyword and uh, it'll tell you whether or not your keyword density in your post is good enough. It'll tell you about your headline. It'll tell you if you have written too many um, posts around that topic, or maybe you need to group it as a different category. It, it's just great. And the way it gamifies it is you get these uh, red, amber, or green dots. And so if you can get a post all in green, it's like, wow, I've optimized it for SEO. The other thing it, it does is it lets you change some of the things that really developers used to be completely responsible for. So the meta tag, for example, the meta tag, which is the little description that shows up when you search for something on Google, that little 140 character description in Yoast, you can customize it, which is great. And a lot of times if you, if you just search anything on Google and you see the page of results, those two lines, they don't really say much. And, you don't have a lot of real estate to draw people in. So you can change that. You can change the SEO headline different from the headline people see because bots consume uh, our content differently. It, fantastic. So I, I can't recommend Yoast highly enough. And it, 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 it changed my approach to SEO. Interestingly enough, last week we had uh, Sarah Evans uh, from Sarah Evans PR on and she shared a number of different tools, uh, one of which is called Ink for All. And Ink for All is uh, an application you download to your desktop that uses artificial intelligence to help you write a post. And so you write your post, it recommend you specify a keyword, it tells you how long to write it, and it also gives you grammatical spelling and then editorial advice uh, based on the difficulty of a sentence, that type of thing, consulting AI, uh, to, 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 to help you do that. And then it saves it as a, as a, as a file that you can then drag and drop into Gutenberg, uh, into an ink for all uh, a block. And, uh, you can put your photos in there with your alt text. Uh, you can do everything, but your featured image. You can even do your meta, meta title, your meta page description, all that stuff. Um, I, I want to get in uh, deeper into this, but I want to start with just an overview of sort of the hottest digital marketing trends. Cause yeah. you have this course on LinkedIn learning called 2020 digital marketing trends. So what are the 2020 digital marketing trends? Well, first of all, a lot of them have changed a little bit um, because of COVID, not all of them, but uh, there's been some readjustment. One of the trends that I would not have predicted say in January is the rise of virtual conferences, digital conferences, and things like this, these, these online webinars, which have been around for a long time, you know, and in fact, a lot of us took these for granted, I think, you know, it was something we would use, hey, let's get on a Zoom call, you see someone face to face, but 
ideally you wanted to get together with people or you wanted to have a conference um, with people right there. And you could never get, you, like there was always somebody who was resistant. Yeah. But now even grandma's on Zoom. Like everybody's no. on Zoom now. It's incredible. Yeah, all yeah. these family things. Now, it can, you can you know, also have Zoom fatigue, which is really real. You know, it's everybody wants to get on these video calls. And so you have to balance that too. But I think that that's a great benefit in that we all know this. And out of all of this, you know, the first round of interviews that are coming up for, say, new people in communications or marketing or people who just, you know, want to do a new job, they're likely going to be on video. So if you're not comfortable sitting here and just, you know, blabbing on video, if you get you know, a little bit nervous when you think there's a camera on you or you have a mic there, you're not going to show yourself at your best. So, so this gives us this incredible opportunity to practice being good in front of a camera in very, very low stakes settings. When you're talking to friends and family, suddenly you get comfortable with this so that when you are presented with um, an interview opportunity, you can sit there and you can say, okay, look at what your background is. Now, I'm not the greatest at art direction. In fact, I probably suck at it. But I tried to position myself in a place where you could see, okay, there's a bookshelf behind me. There's like a diploma on the wall, my master's degree that I recently got that I'm so proud of. You know, you can see a little, there's this great um, photo here. I don't know if you can see it to my right, I guess uh, that way of typewriter keys. You know, just a little bit of stuff to give up bit of personality, you know, as to who you are, putting your camera up rather than having it down and looking, you know, up your nose. Those are all little tips, a little bit of lighting, you know, all of those are things that we're able to learn now. And I think that's a big trend. Another one is the whole notion, and it's kind of related to this, of digital conferences. There are so many conferences. I, um, can uh, there are so many conferences that I wasn't able to attend because you know the cost where they were you know you can't spend three to five thousand bucks to go to all these conferences but having them digital I mean I was at the uh, MartechCon about a week and a half ago which is uh, this great conference I've always read the posts coming out about it never been able to attend I see the new uh, marketing technology landscape that's even more complex than it was a year ago fantastic or um, someone named Amy Webb who runs uh, something called the FTI future today Institute she's a futurist she usually presents her report at South by Southwest as one of the keynotes was no South by Southwest this year. So you could sign up for a webinar and interact with her as she presented some of her trends. And, I, and that is just, it's a great thing. So what are they, Martin? What are the hot trends for 2020, digital so I, trends? Uh, so I think um, AI certainly, webinar attendance has become one. Um, Artificial intelligence and really understanding what it does and how it can work for your business. So you mentioned that Ink for All tool. There's so many other AI tools that are coming out that we can start to use and try. There's a great tool that I like. Um, if you're creating videos, 
It's called Lumen 5, L-U-M-E-N 5, and I'll just type that in here. Oops. And while he's doing that, uh, welcome J.D. Bowles from iPress Room. Uh, welcome Joel Kamen. I sure hope we're going to be able to put that panel together on getting the hospitality industry back to work uh, with the Orlando hotels. Um, thanks for sharing that, uh, Martin. Yeah, and what Lumen 5 does is you – and you can sign up for a free account or you can sign up for a paid account. Free account, you upload a script and it will create a video for you just like that. Chooses from stock image. You can see the images they've chosen. You can change them. It highlights text on video. You can change the text. You can change the layout a little bit. But it's incredible because you just upload the script and within five minutes – you've got a short video that you can suddenly share as content and it uses AI to put it all together. So I think AI understanding um, how it works and uh, what it can do and all the changes that are happening, you know, how you can apply it. That's a trend. Um, I think Is artificial intelligence a threat or an opportunity? Both really. Um, it's a threat because People could lose, people could and will likely lose their jobs because of it. Uh, but it's an opportunity because of the potential of humans plus AI working together to solve problems. So maybe taking some of the drudgery. So for example, social media monitoring or social listening. Um, when you have AI um, working with a person, it can pick up more nuanced conversations and more data that you may not have seen and hopefully presented to you. Now you still need people to analyze what it means and come up with a strategic response for it or a strategic piece of content or, you know, um, understand who the stakeholders might now be. But, but I think it, it, it's, it's an opportunity and a challenge. Now some of the risks involved, of course, are data privacy, data breaches, I teach as an adjunct at a school here, uh, a university in Toronto, and they just had a data breach a couple days ago and all their systems went down. So here you have this university that had to migrate to online learning because of COVID and all their systems went down. So data breaches, privacy is one uh, risk and, and data bias, getting results that you think are real, but may be skewed. So I think the, the whole idea of viewing AI as a potential partnership is something that uh, it's a good way to look at it, knowing that you are likely going to have to reskill or upskill. What What are some practical applications? I think another uh, trend is the whole notion of human artificial human AI agent relationships. So the relationships we're going to have with artificially intelligent agents and how that uh, is going to change communications and trust. That is. Uh, something I've done some research in and it, it's pretty interesting because if you think about it, if you're in a car with a friend of yours, say after all this is over and you've got directions to go somewhere and Google map tells you the best route or ways. And uh, your friend says, Hey, I've got a better route. Who do you believe and who do you trust more? And how does that affect your interpersonal relationship? Um, I'll tell you, that's a tough one, man. I get hosed by Waze once in a while. Yeah. And when I trust Waze over my wife, 
Yeah. It doesn't go well if, no, if, you- if it hoses us. If, it, if, if Waze gets me there quicker, then it's okay. But if Waze, Waze, in terms of like, you know, the margin of error that Waze is allowed to have, it's zero. You know, we yeah. allow humans to be wrong, but AI, AI can't be wrong. No, it can't be wrong because we have these higher values. Now, that's the same thing with chatbots, which just aren't very good yet. You know, at simple Q&As, it's almost like uploading an FAQ to this AI program that knows, okay, if it asks about this, I'll give it this answer or that answer. And uh, I think that's starting to get better, but we're nowhere near, we're nowhere near. I just want, I just want AI that can tell me how to write a freaking headline. That's most likely to be, you know, click worthy. I mean, just it's coming. Like it's, it's actually, there's a company called Persado or Persado P E R S A D O. And that's what they do. They use natural language processing to help generate what the best ideas for headlines or subject lines in a blog post or in an email marketing campaign are which messages should it customize so so it's there but the thing is you know eric you bring up a great point it's not perfect and we expect it to be that we don't expect it to only be better than us we expect it to be perfect this ai headline better get me customers that pay as opposed to maybe increase the number of leads i get by five percent ultimately it's all based on predictions right what are what are your favorite uh, tools mm. well i said earlier lumen five i love lumen five i think it, i think it's a great way for people who aren't video savvy to be able to create videos um in pretty much in real time because uh, my wife's a documentary filmmaker so when I go out to try to shoot something or edit it. I watched go, her movie, by the way. Oh, good. About the dolls. Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell uh, us about your wife's movie. It's a, it's a cool movie. Yeah. My wife's documentary filmmaker. She uh, made one film a few years ago called Living Dolls about adult doll collectors. Very different than kids. And these are people who are really serious and passionate about that. And I say passionate in quotations because some of them collect, you know, porcelain dolls or antique dolls to the guys who have these meetups and they collect these sex dolls, even though they have other relationships. It's it's a fascinating film. One thing Maureen does well is she really is able to capture uh, people's emotions and sort of listen to them. She's really good at listening to them. Um, Her most recent film, which unfortunately isn't available in the U S yet. She's looking for a distributor. There is called 17 and life doesn't wait. And in in that she follows three high school seniors um, looking at three young women, high school seniors looking at their lives and their hopes and dreams. And it's a great film too. Anyway, a slight digression there. I know you put together a list of these tools. Do you want to just share them in the chat window? Uh, Yeah, I'll share one of the tools. And this isn't really a tool uh, as a compendium of tools. I'm a member of the uh, AI NPR 
Committee, which is a committee of communications people uh, that are doing research on AI. All volunteer stuff run out of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations in the UK, similar to PRSA in the US. And one of the things that they have is an AI in PR tool stack. And that's a link I just shared there. So it, it lists um, probably over 100 tools that use AI um, and that communicators or marketers and communicators can, can use. And this is constantly being updated. So it's certainly not uh, a, do- a document that just stays there. It's, it's um, a living document, really. And I know that uh, the two people who are responsible for it are adding more tools and checking to see that some of the ones that are up there haven't you know, gone out of business because you have startups, you see what they do, you add them. But that's a fantastic resource for people just if you want to get an idea of which tools and our platforms are out there and uh, which use AI. Martin, you wrote uh, on your blog recently that buzz, that a Buzzfeed social media editor said 75% of the content they produce is not published on buzzfeed.com. Why is that? Um, The reason they aren't, and I just noticed people, uh, said they couldn't share the link and apologies. Um, I was just sharing it with you, Eric. So there it is again. Hopefully you can see that link now, the AINPR.org uh, for everyone. Thanks. No sorry, problem. I missed that. Yeah, and sorry about that. So Thanks all the stuff that I've been sharing, uh, including Lumen5. Thanks, Nundle. There you go. So now everyone can see that too, that uh, video. So getting back to what you said, yeah, BuzzFeed was saying that because what they were doing now, this is going back a couple years, they were using a distributed content model. So they were publishing a lot of content on Twitter, on Facebook, certainly on Facebook, because Facebook was the big driver of traffic. And using that to engage with people and hopefully ultimately drive them to their sites, but they didn't only need to drive people to their sites. They were using their social platforms and gaining revenue from, you know, Facebook, uh, their Facebook page, for example, um, when they were doing that. Now, I imagine they probably have had to shift that a little bit since Facebook changed its algorithm and uh, how it ranks content and how paid content really, I mean, Facebook's a pay for play platform. You know, we know Let's that. talk about that change really quick because yeah. there was a pretty major change in October when uh, Google announced BERT, yes. which is a, sort of a new way of um, uh, assessing the quality of a page computationally. And so just at a high level, sort of really quickly, tell us kind of what BERT is. Well, what BERT is, and and I can tell you what it stands for because it took me about a week to memorize what BERT stands for. It stands for Bidirectional Encoder Representations for Transformers. So that's what BERT is. A quick way of explaining what BERT does is, do you remember the game Mad Libs? Sure. Okay. So in the game Mad Libs, you had a phrase and you had a number of blanks in it. So it could be solved in any of a number of different ways. And you had to kind of look forward and backward and forward and backward in a sentence to solve it. That's kind of like what BERT does to content. So if you have a search question or a search query, uh, 
Google's BERT algorithm will look forward and backwards to try to understand the context that you're looking for. So for example, if you're searching for espresso bars near me, when we can all go out for an espresso, hopefully in the near future, what Google might surface is a coffee shop that doesn't mention espresso, but mentions that they serve blended coffees or cappuccinos and make that connection. It's really quite fascinating how it's able to use, again, more complex deep learning algorithms, which have more levels of associations and better predictions to try to grasp the context that we're looking for. And just as a quick aside, um, Google's BERT algorithm is part of an AI coding convention called Muppetware, and I'm not kidding here, where these coders get a kick out of naming their algorithms after Muppets. So Bert is one. Uh, there's a Grover AI. There's a Big Bird. Can't tell you what all of those stand for, but it's kind of a funny little coding in joke. Anyway, what Bert does is it understands context. So what that means is the quality of our content is more important. We have to understand, you know, how we can structure it and create it so that we are answering a question and getting to what Google refers to as, uh, you know, result zero, that featured snippet at the top of posts. Um, but there are challenges with that too, because you get to that featured snippet point, which is great. But oftentimes those three lines are all people want. And so they won't click to your site. So you lose, you get the benefit of uh, you are providing them with the information, but not the benefit of that click, which is what you want to drive people to your site, as you said, with organic traffic, get them in there and hopefully be able to answer their questions and help them. And, and also in that way, make some money by moving them down, you know, the uh, marketing funnel. Uh, how, but, do you, how do you generate traffic? from the social web. What are, what are some best practices for public relations and marketing people to drive organic traffic from the social web? Well, I think it starts with your brand character and brand personality. And that's really, really important. And then figuring out how to come out with, you know, the types of content that actually catch people's attention. So you want to be conversational. You want to, maybe have a little fun with them. If you're like Wendy's, for example, Wendy's is a great account on Twitter uh, that has a sense of humor that you wouldn't expect necessarily from Wendy's when they are um, in there. One thing I noticed, there was a YouTube video and Eric, I will share the link with you for the uh, blog post um, that came out where someone took a number of COVID commercials and edited the, edit them all together and found that brands were saying the same thing over and over and over again. We care. We're here for you. And, you know, and when you start to hear them all together, they, they become a cliche. And I think it's because brands abandoned their personalities and felt they had to go into that caregiver brand archetype, which is, oh, put on your coat. It's cold outside. You know, don't forget to drink lots of water. That, that You know, they had to seem more caring, which is important, but they can't give up their brand voice. I, um, I call it SWAC 
stuff we all know. <laughs> yeah. you know. COVID is not an excuse to spam the world with stuff we all know. And unfortunately, you know, people feel a responsibility to enter into the conversation to look conscientious. So they send you a freaking link to the SBA or the CDC. And, you know, I, I don't need you to tell me to wash my hands. You can, if, you, if you're going to do that, don't do it via email. Uh, you can do that on social. You can do it via inbound. You can put a hello bar at the top of your site. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. And I think it, it is the pressure on communicators, mostly at mid to large size companies who feel like, well, I have to do my job here. I have to say something to show that I'm aware and not, um, you know, uh, uh, tone deaf. However, they slip into thought repeatership mode rather than thought leadership mode. Yeah, thought that's a great line. I'm going to remember that thought repeatership. And it's so... I just wrote a piece about this for a muckrack that published yesterday. I'll, I'll, I'll post it to the chat room. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I look forward to reading it. The idea of it is, you know, if you want to do something, be creative. And this is where our human minds are still so important. You know, how do you be creative? And maybe if you can't be creative, it's time to be quiet and figure out what you can be creative about. You know, as opposed to just saying, I really care about you. Oh my gosh, I, I'm so, it's, this is a challenging time. It's unpredictable. You know, the word unpredictable, we can't use it anymore because it's become one of those cliches. And yet, how do you describe what we're feeling? And part of that goes back to figuring out, okay, how am I, how is my organization feeling? How are my employees feeling? And how can we turn that into a story that will hopefully connect with our customers, our audiences, our stakeholders, rather than just repeating that swack message? Yeah, stuff we all know. I, what I had said was, you know, first listen, then respond. If you're not a first responder, I, you don't need to be doing outbound communications. Uh, is it swack? Is it stuff we all know? If it, if it is, you can go ahead and post it on your website or put it in social media, but don't send it out in an email. I mean, I feel like I've gotten emails from everybody who had me in a database for the last 20 years that I've never heard from are all of a sudden sending me emails about, you know, how they're telling people to wash their hands. And they care. They care right. about right. right is now. it new? And- is it in character? Is it customer centric? Is it brief? You know? Uh, yeah. Chris, now, I'll tell you what I've done. I've unsubscribed. Uh, oh, a perse- uh, Phrasy is another one, yes, but Persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O. Here, I'll type that. The AI engine for subject headlines? Yeah, Phrasy is another one. Yeah, I'm excited to check that out. Um, Can I- actually, if, for those who are listening, you know, I've been, I've been making notes of all these different conversations of people's preferred tech PR stack, and so I'm going to get uh, Martin's, I'm going to get the one I got from Sarah Evans and the one I got from uh, Anna at SEM Rush. And I'm going to do a post on the blog probably this week. So if you want to get that, go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog and subscribe and you'll get, I'll do a, a, a post with all the different tools and links to everything. Can I give you one tool that almost feels like an old school tool these days, but I, I love it. It's so great. Evernote. I just I love Evernote. Love it. I love I Evernote. You pay for the premium? Yes, I pay for the premium. It's on my phone. It's on my tablet. It's on my computer screen. And I just find, one, it's great. I used to 
have all these notebooks. I was an incessant note taker, you know, at meetings. And so I'd have bookshelves full of notebooks with notes, but I could never find anything because those notebooks aren't really searchable. With Evernote, oh my gosh, you can find things. I put ideas down. I start writing posts, you know, on my phone if I'm traveling somewhere, switch to my computer. It it really works for me. And, you know, everyone... Um, likes their own uh, note-taking package, but Evernote Premium, I just think is great. One other resource, this is a great book if you want to learn about AI and have a fun read. It's called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You. It's by Janelle Shane. Janelle Shane is a (laughs) great title. I know. Well, what she does is she explains AI and predictions and and narrow AI's limitations in really easy to understand, fun and funny language. And she'll do things like she'll train an AI algorithm to come up with flavors of ice cream by feeding in all these flavors. And so the results are sometimes pretty good, but often quite hilarious, bizarre, and, and sometimes really gruesome. So she gives those kinds of examples to explain it. The whole book is like that. And she also has a blog. I'm going to type in the name. It's called AI Weirdness. If you want to have some fun with, you know, what AI is and and learn about it, AIweirdness.com is uh, just great. So that I think it's it's a good book to get into. It's easy to read and uh, fun to learn about. One other AI resource, and that is something you can subscribe to. It's called the Algorithm Newsletter. It's by a journalist named Karen Howe, H-A-O, at MIT Technology Review. I'm just going to type it. Um, What Karen Howe does is she, and you can find it just by going to MIT Tech Review and search the algorithm newsletter. Every Friday, she writes and or curates these stories on AI from an ethics perspective or a more humanist perspective, not necessarily from a tech perspective. Now, when you start reading it, you'll find there are some words you have to look up just because it can get a little bit technical. But after about a month or so, you'll find it really interesting because she she looks at some of the bigger questions. And really, those are the questions that marketers and communicators need to be thinking uh, uh, about with regards to ethics, with regards to bias, um, and also with regards to the whole notion of how the AI transformation across enterprises is going to change organizations' culture. Because as you need to, as you replace more people or more tasks, say, with machines, what are people going to do? How are, how are organizations going to train them? And um, how are you going to ensure that the culture that you built up over years stays the same when people are just living in constant fear that they're going to be gone because of a bot or you know, an algorithm or something like that. So interesting questions and important ones. Lyndall, thanks so much for posting that, that link. I appreciate yes. it. Um, so I want to wrap this up with a discussion about online training because, you know, even in the world of public relations, 
Training has often been a way of making a market. SAP has been very aggressive on the use of training to make a market for new technology. So it almost becomes part of the public relations campaign. So what I'd be curious to know from you, having now authored, I think, half a dozen courses with LinkedIn Learning, can you give us some sort of courseware authoring do's and don'ts? Yeah, and again, it comes back to, and it is probably a swag thing to say, but it comes down to what do what does your audience need to know? And then how can you explain it in a way that's helpful and that isn't speaking down to people, but still explains it in a conversational way? Uh, performance is really important here. What's your delivery? Because if you're just monotone, people just get bored. So how do you keep the energy up? How do you smile? How do you, how do you show that you care in the tone of your voice. And that's not necessarily easy to do. Something else that LinkedIn Learning does, I think really, really well, is rather than having a course that's, you know, a half hour or an hour long webinar and you do these hours, they break it up into three to five minute segments. So you know that, okay, I've got 10 minutes, I can watch two of these. Or I've got an hour, maybe I'll watch five or six of them. You know, and I think that's a really important way of doing it, certainly for the teaching I do. And I, I teach social media at a number of colleges and universities, both in class and online. And in class, you know, you're there, you got your three hours of time and you got people's attention while online, you don't have that. So how can you slice and dice it in a way that makes it user friendly? I think shorter is always better, but making sure that you have some sort of link from one to the next. So there is a progression and it's not just a set of here's one, here's another, here's another, you know, what is that bigger story arc? Story arcs really come into play too. That's interesting. Um, If you haven't secured free access to my basics for SEO for PR course, you still have a few minutes to do that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. So, you know, as sort of an added bonus to people who attend live, the course is free while the class is live uh, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. A special thanks to Flux Branding, a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. And you can visit them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash flux branding. And uh, I also want to thank Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers. More information at ericschwartzman.com forward slash dd. Now, next week, um, we're going to have a discussion with Ryan Pa about what it takes to get invited to the Forbes Business Councils. Ryan is the CCO of um, Community Company, which operates the Forbes Business Council, the Ad Age Collective, and the Business Journal's Leadership Trust, uh, which are membership communities that afford advertorial publishing opportunities in Forbes Ad Age and local business journals. 
Um, the week after that, we have a panel of entertainment publicists from film, television, and music talking about putting Hollywood back to work. And the last Wednesday of May, uh, we're going to focus on producing virtual events with the head of growth from Restream, Anya Ronson, who's going to share her checklist for producing must-watch live streaming events. Um, we're all trying to figure out how to reinvent ourselves online. And so, you know, she's an expert in that. And she will talk to us about virtualizing live events, what works, what doesn't. Um, if you're watching this on Periscope, on Facebook Live or YouTube Live, uh, you can ask questions and participate in the live chat every Wednesday. Just sign up at prtechwednesdays.com. Uh, you'll get updates about future guests and emails with replays if you miss the live event. And if you're a podcaster, if you enjoy podcast listening, uh, you can get us on iTunes or Spotify. And uh, please help us grow our community by leaving a review and subscribing. Uh, you can sign up for bonus content on the PR Tech Secrets blog at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. Uh, this has been Eric Schwartzman and Martin Waxman. We'll see you at the next PR Tech Wednesday. Bye. Uh, share his resources. One great. is Chris Penn's book, uh huh, which is really good. And this is a great one if you want to learn about AI. You look like a thing, and I love you. Oh, great, wonderful. Uh, my my favorite is uh, is this one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and go live. All right. Welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays, the weekly webinar where thought leaders discuss the latest in PR tech. If it's Wednesdays, it's PR Tech Wednesdays. Welcome back. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. I started this community last year to bring us together once a week to talk about developments in marketing and PR, but the pandemic has rapidly propelled our growth. I had to increase our web hosting capacity yesterday because of slow page load times from concurrent user sessions. Uh, the slower a page loads, the lower it ranks in Google's organic search results. If you want to test out your own page load times, uh, you can get a Google Search Console account and run a quick test. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. It's free. Uh, admission to the live chat is capped to the first 100 sign-ins, but you can catch the live stream on Periscope at Eric Schwartzman on YouTube Live or on Facebook Live. Uh, for those who like podcasts, you can subscribe to the audio replay on iTunes or Spotify. Just search PR Tech Wednesdays. And you can sign up and access all those links at prtechwednesdays.com. Um, if you sign up, you get emails to links to the replays as well. Um, I also write detailed blog posts about these conversations with links to the resources discussed at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. So you can subscribe to that for access to bonus content. Our guest today is Martin Waxman. He's an instructor with LinkedIn Learning, formerly lynda.com, where he teaches courses on digital marketing and public relations. He's a senior advisor at spinsucks.com, and he's an expert in the use of artificial intelligence for marketing and PR. Martin, welcome. 
Well, thank you, Eric. Great to be here. And it's so funny because we had this face-to-face chat when I was in LA earlier in the year in January, when we were talking about this, May 1 seemed like a long way off. And I certainly never would have imagined that, you know, we'd be in this situation. I don't think any of us ever thought it would be like this. And I think it really underscores the importance of digital communications these days, because that's what we have pretty much. Well, um, you know, digital customer acquisition is now everybody's concern. Um, And there are five types of traffic, organic referral, search, email, and direct. Of those five, which source do you think delivers your best traffic? The answer is always going to be organic traffic. Users trust Google and top ranking sites get more clicks. What that means is that people that arrive to your website through Google organic search, visit more pages, stay longer, and convert at a higher frequency rate. Uh, Yet most people still don't know the basics of SEO. Um, I created a short video course on the basics of SEO for PR. And before things get busy, you can invest in yourself and learn the basics of SEO. If you're listening to this live, you can get the video course for free. Uh, the basics of SEO for PR until the end of today's session at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Um, Sign up now and get lifetime access. Again, the basics of SEO for PR is available available for free for the next hour at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Now we do a segment called uh, Bookstagram of the Week, and I wanted to change that up today. And instead of featuring a book, I want to talk about an essay. This week, I wanted to share a short passage uh, from an essay by best-selling, award-winning author Arantadi Roy, uh, and this is from the conclusion: Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. I think her message is powerful and inspirational. Uh, Instead of a return to normalcy, this idea of a portal to a better future. Noah built an ark to survive the flood and had to decide what to save. So what will you put into your vessel for the voyage to the new world? What will you preserve? What will you shed? How will you reinvent yourself, your clients and your brand? What will you bring with you Make it intentional. Make this a time of renewal by renewing yourself, your capabilities, your know-how for the digital future. And let's get started. The chat room is open for networking. There are no restrictions. So please use it as your back channel to interact with each other. This is your community. You know, real world events that we produce and go to are multidimensional. We use our head and our eyes to sort of see different things. But here on Zoom, we really only see one thing. You see me, you see Martin, and that's it. So in addition to learning about digital marketing trends from Martin, learn to adapt the types of events you produce 
to this digital format by using the back channel to communicate amongst yourselves. And let's try to figure out together what works and what doesn't among friends and colleagues. This is a place where there are no stupid questions. Um, this is a safe place to ask any question you want. Questions go in the Q&A area. Chat goes in the chat area. And be ready to come on screen and ask your question live. I'll promote you to a panelist, and you'll come on screen and join into the video chat. Um, if you're just joining us, stick around for the special announcement at the end of the uh, session about bonus content I think you'll enjoy. Martin, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Great, great opening, and honestly, really interesting question, because how are we going to reinvent ourselves after this and, and our organizations? It's something I think a lot of us um, need to think about. And I think something that we were chatting about yesterday is the whole notion of digital acceleration, like all these things that have been happening Zoom calls, for example, or video conferencing, it's going to be accelerated a lot more. I, I, uh, a friend of mine shared a job posting with me, and a PR agency in Toronto, where I'm based, has an ad out, and they are looking for a full-time nurse to be there at the agency to take people's temperatures, to make sure that they're healthy, that everything's disinfected properly. And honestly, that's something when I had my agency, I never would have thought that that might be something I would need. And I think what it did is it made me think that, okay, right. We really have to rethink the way we approach business face-to-face -face as we start to come back, but also, you know, how do we work in digital and uh, flexibility and adaptability? You know, it's funny. One of the things we do so often for our clients is try to promote them as thought leaders. And, you know, being a thought leader has risk because you have to lead with a thought. And if you lead with a thought, you could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Things are changing so quickly right now, but this really is an opportunity to offer leadership to offer hope, to offer guidance, to offer direction. So, so just to kick it off, you know, in the world of digital marketing, you know, what are the problems that people want help with right now? I think in some ways they're the, the same problems that they always wanted help with, except, you know, if you think about, you wrote this great post uh, for Spin Sucks not too long ago about using Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but applying it to communications and uh, startups and how they're growing. And I think if we look to Maslow's hierarchy now, that we can think that right now we're looking for some of the basics, food, right? Can we get food delivered to us? Are there safe places that we can buy it? So I think organizations, brands, agencies, consultants need to be more concerned about how what they do will address people's maybe more basic needs and, and hopefully lead them up the path rather than just focusing on, uh, you know, hey, we're selling this or we're providing that, we can help you with this. How can you go almost a step before that and just be there? For your customers. And, and it's not easy. I look, my dad, I come from a retail background. My dad uh, started and ran two fabric and drapery stores. And I worked there my whole life. And I, I learned so much about dealing with clients and customers from him because he approached his store as a community. 
And he was always there to help first. So help people, even if it meant he didn't get the sale that time. He was thinking much more long-term with those relationships. And I think that paid off for him. And certainly it will pay off now thinking about, you know, how we can use this moment of time to help customers. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, But when you think about the narrative of digital marketing, you know, it starts with generating some demand, getting people to go somewhere and take some sort of action that you want them to take so that then you can develop them or nurture them and try to convert them into some sort of a revenue opportunity of some kind. Um, Yet, you know, so many of us come to that equation thinking really just about generating the demand. And then once we've generated the demand, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with it? We need a landing page. We need to learn that. So it's like if you were to walk early on into a room of folks looking at digital marketing and say, hey, I can help you with landing pages, they would say, well, we, we don't need that now. We just need to know how to generate demand, right? So mm-hmm. so in, in some cases, you know, the landing page is sort of the known unspoken problem, And then the spoken problem is, well, we need social media. We need a way to generate demand. So when you think about the questions people ask in your courses and your interactions with clients and the things you write about and the things that rank, you know, where are we with respect to known spoken problems and known unspoken problems? Well, I think we probably have a good idea of the past known spoken problems. I think with the whole notion of unspoken problems, we're all trying to figure that out as we go along because um, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, that's become a cliche to say that these days. One of the things that I think can help a lot is social listening as a first step. And it really is a first step in any type of digital marketing, but really paying attention and listening first rather than speaking. And I think to traditional PR, which is my background, And the whole idea of the message, it's all about the message. It's all about the man, what we have to say, you know, kind of pushing it out. Really, I think that has become flipped with social media, but now it's even more important to listen first, listen intently and figure out what conversations are going on out there and how you can answer them or help or Maybe you can't. Maybe there there's some things that you probably should stay away from for now. Uh, just because people are upset and you can't help. I mean, they need comfort. They need, um, we all need comfort, right? And we need reassurance. We need hope, but we also don't need things sugar-coated. So it, it's a fine balance with organizations balancing, you know, hey, it's going to be great tomorrow with what can we do today? And I think, yeah, you, you've got to listen. You've got to listen intently. You've got to look at the keywords you're paying attention to and finding out what the new pain points are. And then looking through what you have in your content marketing arsenal and how you can adapt. Can you take a blog post you did a year ago and maybe republish it in a way that's more relevant for today? When you, so so in, in your LinkedIn courses, yeah. people can ask questions, right? Yeah. Have those questions changed since the pandemic? Not yet. And it's interesting, but I'll I'll tell you what seems to have changed is a lot more people are sharing, a lot more of the people who are taking the courses are sharing it online. And so that gives me an opportunity to interact with them and to 
say, hey, do you have any questions about the course? Now, in most cases, people are just happy to be acknowledged and happy that someone heard them. I think that's something that all brands um, can learn from, you know, that, that sometimes the beginning of a conversation is just a hello and hi, you know, what are you doing? What's it like for you? How are things going for you? Thing, things like that. So the questions haven't changed that much. So um, I'm going to give you three sort of common services around digital marketing today. And mm-hmm. I want you to tell me which ones you think most people think they need to know or most people think they need to do. Content marketing, social media marketing, SEO. That's a great one because I was thinking about that. And uh, I'm going to give you a cop-out answer, which is all three. I really do think all three work together. And if you go back to Ginny Dietrich's PESO model, which is paid, earned, shared, and owned media, and how you integrate all of that, um, content marketing and SEO, you know, they, they really work together. I think, again, I said this earlier, it starts with listening and then having an idea about what people are looking for and then trying to craft the kind of content that you're creating. You know, you, you mentioned organic content. Absolutely. If you, if you have the kind of content that people um, find when they type in a question, that's great because, you know, all of a sudden you're being really relevant. I think understanding SEO, which is really changing and getting far, far, far more complex with the, uh, with the, really with semantic search, which understands the relationship between words versus, you know, what we used to have Boolean where you ask a question and it will give you A plus B. So if you search for Martin Waxman, for example, in the past, you get Martin plus Waxman and uh, Martin Short, who you're probably familiar with, uh, who's a comedian. Uh, there was a comedian in Canada, Al Waxman. And so they would always come up and search when you search for me. Now, Google recognizes that I'm a person and, in fact, is using artificial intelligence to understand the context of my search even more. So that's why I think it's really important for us to understand search, not necessarily from an SEO specialist perspective, but from a uh, content-first perspective. Um, How can you frame your content in... Uh, a way that you know shows up with people shows up for people because you're answering their questions. And like Martin, that. when you look at sort of how well people in public relations understand these different concepts, you know, uh, content marketing, social media marketing, and SEO, how would you rank uh, our industry in terms of readiness against those three? Do you have negative numbers here? Because I think we're below this guy. I think we're pretty bad. I think at content marketing, we're not bad. We're not bad at stories and content. I don't think we're great at uh, digital media or or social media marketing, really, because we're not still, we still, I think too many of us operate with an earned first mindset rather than with a content first mindset. So if someone else says it's great, it must be great. Whereas really we need to shift that a little bit, know what needs to be amplified, understand the basics of amplification uh, through paid. And I think in terms of SEO, 
we have uh, blinders on. And I don't understand it because from my perspective, SEO should be a function that PR handles. I, I, I really don't get it. And in fact, SEO firms call it, you know, link earning, which sounds a lot like earned media. You know, you try to get a more credible site, a site with higher domain authority to link to you. What sounds sort of like a version of media relations. Like, why don't, why aren't we dominating that? Why aren't we coming up? I have an idea on that. So talking to Anna Lebedeva, who's the head of growth for SEM Rush. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in addition to this, I do a performance marketing podcast called the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. And the new episode is basically her opening her B2B content marketing playbook telling us what works, what doesn't. SEM Rush. I mean, they've got hard data. You know, you would think that they would really know what they're doing. And she said something really interesting. She was talking about international digital marketing. And she said, you know, I can't repurpose an English language post into German or Scandinavian languages because those markets want data. They want hard data. And the U.S. market, English-speaking language market of the people I sell to are resistant to quantitative data. And if you think about sort of Western education, particularly in the, in the U.S., you know, there's two scores on the SAT. There's the math score and the English score. Yeah. And so we sort of think of ourselves as math or English people from a kid's based on how we score there. Yeah. You know, I scored better on English, so I kind of told, told myself the story, oh, I'm an English person. And actually, you know, just to be frank, I mean, I sat with tears in my eyes trying to figure out algebra two, you know, my brother helped me. I barely made it through the course. I was terrible at it, but I understood geometry, you know, cause it's spatial and that I got, and I really, I get SEO. I get the basic ideas of it, but I think uh, having taught like you SEO to so many language people who tell themselves I'm a language person, people are very resistant to it. You know, their eyes sort of glaze over. They don't like the concepts of inbound links and circular logic and any of that. I mean, I'm living proof that you can learn SEO, but I think generally people that gravitate to public relations and marketing and communications, maybe not on the marketing side as much, but certainly on the PR side, are people that say, you know what, I don't want to deal with numbers. And and SEO makes me deal with numbers, so I don't want to do it. Yeah, I went into this because I'm no good at math. Right. I hate math. I know. But you know what? First of all, communications people don't need to know how to write a complex algorithm. But we do need to understand the basics of analytics and data. And it's something that, you know, we shy away from. How do you look at a page of results in Google you know, the back end using Google Analytics and try to discover trends and go, oh, wow, look at that correlation. And this is where AI can come in because the more data you have, it can look and find patterns and uh, that we might not have been able to see. But there are some things that we certainly can see if we're not afraid to just dip our toes into the water of numbers. And uh, part of that is just getting familiar with some of the basic tools like Excel or Google Sheets and not using them um, for strictly critical, you know, for developing a critical path, for example. Okay, this stuff has to be done. Like, let's figure out, you know, if you have these uh, data points, 
how can you look at them? How can you find out what the mean is or the median? What is the mean or average, you know, or the median above which, you know, you have everything uh, below that number is every, you know, it's the middle number where half is below and half is above. You know, all of those are important things for us to figure out. And we can do that through basic statistics courses that we can get online for free. But I think it's incumbent on us as uh, senior communicators or communications people to start to pay attention to statistics. And really, if you, if you understand even the basics of statistics, you'll understand more about artificial intelligence because AI is just statistical predictions. That's all it is at its core. Now, it's really, really complex how it gets to them. But knowing that, it suddenly opens your eyes and minds to how some AI decisions are arrived at. Hey, um, if you're, you know, using SEO as a value add for your clients, if you are, you know, learning SEO, if you know SEO, or if you don't know SEO, if it's, go ahead and let us know in the chat room. You are, you are doing SEO. Hi, Alice. Hi, Amy. Hi, Beth. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Elisa. And welcome, a big welcome to Karen North. We have the head of the online communities program with USC Annenberg on with us today. Welcome. We have Jonna Burke on with us. Welcome, Jonna. So many others. Um, I want to hear from you guys. You know, what do, are you doing SEO? Is SEO part of your lexicon? Or is it like, you know, no, we don't do it because we don't get paid for it. That's another thing. I mean, people don't necessarily come through the door to a PR agency and say, hey, I want SEO. They go to an SEO shop for that. Yeah. So, and it's another job. I mean, you can't just, you know, write news and then not SEO it afterwards. Yeah, it, it, and it's a missed opportunity. Um, I know Serena Ehrlich, who does content for Business Wire, one of the things she said in a presentation was that think about your headline as a URL. How does that headline show up as a URL or a permalink? Because that's how it's discovered. Something that a lot of us don't necessarily think about. Can I share one SEO tool that I'm sure a lot of people use, but it's just, I, I think it's one of the best ones around. You want to put it on the screen? Uh, no, just talk about it. Yoast. Okay, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Y-O-A-S-T, which is a plugin, a free plugin that you can get for WordPress. It is incredible because what it does is it gamifies SEO. You choose your keyword and uh, it'll tell you whether or not your keyword density in your post is good enough. It'll tell you about your headline. It'll tell you if you have written too many um, posts around that topic, or maybe you need to group it as a different category. It, it's just great. And the way it gamifies it is you get these uh, red, amber, or green dots. And so if you can get a post all in green, it's like, wow, I've optimized it for SEO. The other thing it, it does is it lets you change some of the things that really developers used to be completely responsible for. So the meta tag, for example, the meta tag, which is the little description that shows up when you search for something on Google, that little 140 character description in Yoast, you can customize it, which is great. And a lot of times if you, if you just search anything on Google and you see the page of results, those two lines, they don't really say much. And, 
you don't have a lot of real estate to draw people in. So you can change that. You can change the SEO headline different from the headline people see because bots consume uh, our content differently. It, fantastic. So I, I can't recommend Yoast highly enough. And it, 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 it changed my approach to SEO. Interestingly enough, last uh, week we had uh, Sarah Evans uh, from Sarah Evans PR on, and she shared a number of different tools, uh, one of which is called Ink for All. And Ink for All is uh, an application you download to your desktop that uses artificial intelligence to help you write a post. And so you write your post, it recommend you specify a keyword, it tells you how long to write it, and it also gives you grammatical spelling and then editorial advice uh, based on the difficulty of a sentence, that type of thing, consulting AI uh, to, 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 to help you do that. And then it saves it as a, as a, as a file that you can then drag and drop into Gutenberg uh, into an ink for all uh, block. And uh, you can put your photos in there with your alt text. Uh, you can do everything but your featured image. You can even do your meta, meta title, your meta page description, all that stuff. Um, I, I want to get in uh, deeper into this, but I want to start with just an overview of sort of the hottest digital marketing trends. Because yeah. you have this course on LinkedIn Learning called 2020 Digital Marketing Trends. So what are the 2020 digital marketing trends? Well, first of all, a lot of them have changed a little bit um, because of COVID. Not all of them, but uh, there's been some readjustment. One of the trends that I would not have predicted, say in January, is the rise of virtual conferences, digital conferences, and things like this, these, these online webinars, which have been around for a long time. You know, and in fact, a lot of us took these for granted, I think, you know, it was something we would use. Hey, let's get on a Zoom call. You see someone face to face, but ideally you wanted to get together with people or you wanted to have a conference um, with people right there. And you could never get, you, like there was always somebody who was resistant. Yeah. But now even grandma's on Zoom, like everybody's yeah. on Zoom now. It's incredible. Yeah, all yeah. these family things. Now, it can, you can also have Zoom fatigue, which is really real. You know, it's everybody wants to get on these video calls. And so you have to balance that too. But I think that that's a great benefit in that we all know this. And out of all of this, you know, the first round of interviews that are coming up for, say, new people in communications or marketing or people who just you know, want to do a new job, they're likely going to be on video. So if you're not comfortable sitting here and just, you know, blabbing on video, if you get, you know, a little bit nervous when you think there's a camera on you or you have a mic there, you're not going to show yourself at your best. So, so this gives us this incredible opportunity to practice being good in front of a camera in very, very low stakes settings. When you're talking to friends and family, suddenly you get comfortable with this so that when you are presented with um, an interview opportunity, you can sit there and you can say, okay, look at what your background is. Now, I, I'm not the greatest at art direction. In fact, i probably suck at it, but I tried to position myself in a place where you could see, okay, there's a bookshelf behind me. There's like a diploma on the wall, my master's degree that I recently got that I'm so proud of. You know, you can see a little, there's this great um, photo here. I don't know if you can see it 
to my right, I guess, uh, that way of typewriter keys, you know, just a little bit of stuff to give a bit of personality, you know, as to who you are, putting your camera up rather than having it down and looking, you know, up your nose. Those are all little tips, a little bit of lighting, you know, all of those are things that we're able to learn now. And I think that's a big trend. Another one is the whole notion, and it's kind of related to this, of digital conferences. There are so many conferences. I um, can, uh, there are so many conferences that I wasn't able to attend because, you know, the cost, where they were, you know, you can't spend three to 5,000 bucks to go to all these conferences, but having them digital. I mean, I was at the uh, MarTechCon about a week and a half ago, which is uh, this great conference. I've always read the posts coming out about it, never been able to attend. I see the new uh, marketing technology landscape that's even more complex than it was a year ago. Fantastic. Or um, someone named Amy Webb, who runs uh, something called the FTI Future Today Institute. She's a futurist. She usually presents her report at South by Southwest as one of the keynotes. There was no South by Southwest this year. So you could sign up for a webinar and interact with her as she presented some of her trends. And, I, and that is just, it's a great thing. So what are they, Martin? What are the hot trends for 2020? Digital well, marketing trends. Uh, so I think um, AI certainly webinar attendance has become one. Um, artificial intelligence and really understanding what it does and how it can work for your business. So you mentioned that Ink for All tool. There's so many other AI tools that are coming out that we can start to use and try. There's a great tool that I like um, if you're creating videos. It's called Lumen 5, L-U-M-E-N 5, and I'll just type that in here. Oops. And while he's doing that, uh, welcome J.D. Bowles from iPress Room. Uh, welcome Joel Kamen. I sure hope we're going to be able to put that panel together on getting the hospitality industry back to work uh, with the Orlando hotels. Um, thanks for sharing that, uh, Martin. Yeah, and what Lumen5 does is you, in, and you can sign up for a free account or you can sign up for a paid account. Free account, you upload a script and it will create a video for you, just like that. Chooses from stock image. You can see the images they've chosen. You can change them. It highlights text on video. You can change the text. You can change the layout a little bit, but it's incredible because you just upload the script and within five minutes, you've got a short video that you can suddenly share as content and it uses AI to put it all together. So I think AI understanding um, how it works and uh, what it can do and all the changes that are happening, you know, how you can apply it. That's a trend. Um, I think Is artificial intelligence a threat or an opportunity? Both really. Um, it's a threat because People could lose, people could and will likely lose their jobs because of it. Uh, but it's an opportunity because of the potential of humans plus AI working together to solve problems. So maybe taking some of the drudgery. So for example, social media monitoring or social listening. 
um, when you have AI um, working with a person, it can pick up more nuanced conversations and more data that you may not have seen and hopefully presented to you. Now, you still need people to analyze what it means and come up with a strategic response for it or a strategic piece of content or you know, um, understand who the stakeholders might now be. But, but I think it, it, it's, it's an opportunity and a challenge. Now, some of the risks involved, of course, are data privacy, data breaches. I teach as an adjunct at a school here, uh, a university in Toronto, and they just had a data breach a couple of days ago and all their systems went down. So here you have this university that had to migrate to online learning because of COVID and all their systems went down. So data breaches, privacy is one uh, risk and, and data bias, getting results that you think are real, but may be skewed. So I think the, the whole idea of viewing AI as a potential partnership is something that uh, it's a good way to look at it, knowing that you are likely going to have to reskill or upskill. What What are some practical I applications? I think another uh, trend is the whole notion of human artificial human AI agent relationships. So the relationships we're going to have with artificially intelligent agents and how that uh, is going to change communications and trust. That is. Uh, something I've done some research in and it it's pretty interesting because if you think about it, if you're in a car with a friend of yours, say after all this is over and you've got directions to go somewhere and Google map tells you the best route or ways. And uh, your friend says, Hey, I've got a better route. Who do you believe in? Who do you trust more? And how does that affect your interpersonal relationship? Um, I'll tell you, that's a tough one, man. I get hosed by Waze once in a while. Yeah. And when I trust Waze over my wife, yeah, it doesn't go well if, no, if, you... if it hoses us. If, it, if, if Waze gets me there quicker, then it's okay. But if Waze, Waze, in terms of like, you know, the margin of error that Waze is allowed to have, it's zero. You know, we yeah. allow humans to be wrong, but AI, AI can't be wrong. No, it can't be wrong because we have these higher values. Now, that's the same thing with chatbots, which just aren't very good yet. You know, at simple Q&As, it's almost like uploading an FAQ to this AI program that knows, okay, if it asks about this, I'll give it this answer or that answer. And uh, I think that's starting to get better but we're nowhere near we're nowhere near i just want i just want ai that can tell me how to write a freaking headline that's most likely to be you know click worthy i mean just it's coming like it's that. it's actually there's a company called persado or persado p-e-r-s-a-d-o and that's what they do they use natural language processing to help generate what the best ideas for headlines or subject lines in a blog post or in an email marketing campaign are, which messages should it customize? So, so it's there. But the thing is, you know, Eric, you bring up a great point. It's not perfect. And we expect it to be that. We don't expect it to only be better than us. We expect it to be perfect. This AI headline better get me customers that pay as opposed to maybe increase the number of leads I get by 5%. Ultimately, it's all based on predictions, right? 
What are, what are your favorite uh, tools? Mm. Well, I said earlier, Lumen 5. I love Lumen 5. I think, it, I think it's a great way for people who aren't video savvy to be able to create videos um, in pretty much in real time. Because uh, my wife's a documentary filmmaker. So when I go out to try to shoot something or edit it. I watched her movie, by the way. Oh, good. About the dolls. Yes. Yeah. Tell tell Uh, us about your wife's movie. It's a cool movie. Yeah. My wife's documentary filmmaker. She uh, made one film a few years ago called Living Dolls about adult doll collectors, very different than kids. And these are people who are really serious and passionate about that. And I say passionate in quotations because some of them collect, you know, porcelain dolls or antique dolls to the guys who have these meetups and they collect these sex dolls, even though they have other relationships. It's, it's a fascinating film. One thing Maureen does well is she really is able to capture uh, people's, emotions and sort of listen to them. She's really good at listening to them. Um, Her most recent film, which unfortunately isn't available in the U S yet. She's looking for a distributor. There is called 17 and life doesn't wait. And in in that she follows three high school seniors um, looking at three young women, high school seniors looking at their lives and their hopes and dreams. And it's a great film too. Anyway, a slight digression there. I know you put together a list of these tools. Do you want to just share them in the chat window? Uh, Yeah, I'll share one of the tools. And this isn't really a tool uh, as a compendium of tools. I'm a member of the uh, AINPR committee, which is a committee of communications people uh, that are doing research on AI. All volunteer stuff run out of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations in the UK, similar to PRSA in the US. And one of the things that they have is an AI in PR tool stack. And that's a link I just shared there. So it, it lists um, probably over 100 tools that use AI um, and that communicators or marketers and communicators can, can use. And this is constantly being updated. So it's certainly not uh, a, do- a document that just stays there. It's, it's um, a living document, really. And I know that uh, the two people who are responsible for it are adding more tools and checking to see that some of the ones that are up there haven't you know, gone out of business because you have startups, you see what they do, you add them. That's a fantastic resource. For people, just if you want to get an idea of which tools and or platforms are out there and uh, which use AI. Martin, you wrote uh, on your blog recently that Buzz, that a BuzzFeed social media editor said 75% of the content they produce is not published on BuzzFeed.com. Why is that? Um, the reason they aren't, and I just noticed people... Uh, said they couldn't share the link and apologies. Um, I was just sharing it with you, Eric. So there it is again. Hopefully you can see that link now, the AINPR.org uh, for everyone. Thanks. No Sorry, problem. I missed that. 
Yeah, and sorry about that. So Thanks all the stuff that I've been sharing, uh, including Lumen 5. Thanks, Lendl. There you go. So now everyone can see that too, that uh, video. So getting back to what you said, yeah, BuzzFeed was saying that because what they were doing now, this is going back a couple years, they were using a distributed content model. So they were publishing a lot of content on Twitter, on Facebook, certainly on Facebook, because Facebook was the big driver of traffic. And using that to engage with people and hopefully ultimately drive them to their sites, but they didn't only need to drive people to their sites. They were using their social platforms and gaining revenue from, you know, Facebook, uh, their Facebook page, for example, um, when they were doing that. Now, I imagine they probably have had to shift that a little bit since Facebook changed its algorithm and uh, how it ranks content and how paid content really, I mean, Facebook's a pay for play platform. You know, we know let's that. talk about that change really quick because yeah. there was a pretty major change in October when uh, Google announced BERT, yes. which is uh, sort of a new way of um, uh, assessing the quality of a page computationally. And so just at a high level, sort of really quickly, tell us kind of what BERT is. Well, what BERT is, and, and I can tell you what it stands for because it took me about a week to memorize what BERT stands for. It stands for Bidirectional Encoder Representations for Transformers. So that's what BERT is. A quick way of explaining what BERT does is, do you remember the game Mad Libs? Sure. Okay. So the, in the game Mad Libs, you had a phrase and you had a number of blanks in it. So it could be solved in any of a number of different ways. And you have to kind of look forward and backward and forward and backward in a sentence to solve it. That's kind of like what BERT does to content. So if you have a search question or a search query, uh, Google's BERT algorithm will look forward and backwards to try to understand the context that you're looking for. So for example, if you're searching for espresso bars near me, when we can all go out for an espresso, hopefully in the near future, what Google might surface is a coffee shop that doesn't mention espresso, but mentions that they serve blended coffees or cappuccinos and make that connection. It's really quite fascinating how it's able to use, again, more complex deep learning algorithms, which have more levels of associations and better predictions to try to grasp the context that we're looking for. And just as a quick aside, um, Google's BERT algorithm is part of an AI coding convention called Muppetware, and I'm not kidding here, where these coders get a kick out of naming their algorithms after Muppets. So Bert is one. Uh, there's a Grover AI. There's a Big Bird. Can't tell you what all of those stand for, but it's kind of a funny little coding in joke. Anyway, what Bert does is it understands content. So what that means is the quality of our content is more important. We have to understand, you know, how we can structure it and create it so that we are answering a question and getting to what Google refers to as, uh, you know, result zero, that featured snippet at the top of posts. 
Um, but there are challenges with that too, because you get to that featured snippet point, which is great. But oftentimes those three lines are all people want. And so they won't click to your site. So you lose, you get the benefit of, uh, you are providing them with the information, but not the benefit of that click, which is what you want to drive people to your site, as you said, with organic traffic, get them in there and hopefully be able to answer their questions and help them. And, and also in that way, make some money by moving them down, you know, the uh, marketing funnel. Uh, how, but, do you, how do you generate traffic from the social web? What are, what are some best practices for public relations and marketing people to drive organic traffic from the social web? Well, I think it starts with your brand character and brand personality. And that's really, really important. And then figuring out how to come out with, you know, the types of content that actually catch people's attention. So you want to be conversational. You want to maybe have a little fun with them. If you're like Wendy's, for example, Wendy's is a great account on Twitter. Uh, that has a sense of humor that you wouldn't expect necessarily from Wendy's when they are um, in there. One thing I noticed, there was a YouTube video, and Eric, I will share the link with you for the uh, blog post um, that came out where someone took a number of COVID commercials and edited edited them all together and found that brands were saying the same thing over and over and over again. We care. We're here for you. And, you know, and when you start to hear them all together, they, they become a cliche. And I think it's because brands abandoned their personalities and felt they had to go into that caregiver brand archetype, which is, oh, put on your coat. It's cold outside. You know, don't forget to drink lots of water. That, that, you know, they had to seem more caring, which is important, but they can't give up their brand voice. I, um, I call it swack, stuff we all know. <laughs> yeah. you know. COVID is not an excuse to spam the world with stuff we all know. And unfortunately, you know, people feel a responsibility to enter into the conversation to look conscientious. So they send you a frickin' link to the SBA or the CDC. And, you know, I, I don't need you to tell me to wash my hands. You can, if, you, if you're going to do that, don't do it via email. Uh, you can do that on social. You can do it via inbound. You can put a hello bar at the top of your site. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. And I think it, it is the pressure on communicators, mostly at mid to large size companies who feel like, well, I have to do my job here. I have to say something to show that I'm aware and not, um, you know, uh, uh, tone deaf. However, they slip into thought repeatership mode rather than thought leadership mode. Yeah, thought re- that's a great line. I'm going to remember that thought repeatership. And it's so. I just wrote a piece about this for a muckrack that published yesterday. I'll, I'll I'll post it to the chat room. Oh, that's great! Yeah, I look forward to reading it. The idea of it is, you know, if you want to do something, be creative. And this is where our human minds are still so important. You know, how do you be creative? And maybe if you can't be creative, it's time to be quiet. And figure out what you can be creative about, you know, as opposed to just saying, I really care about you. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm so it's this is a challenging time. It's unpredictable. You know, the word unpredictable, we can't use it anymore. 
because it's become one of those cliches. And yet, how do you describe what we're feeling? And part of that goes back to figuring out, okay, how am I, how is my organization feeling? How are my employees feeling? And how can we turn that into a story that will hopefully connect with our customers, our audiences, our stakeholders, rather than just repeating that swack message. Yeah, stuff we all know. I, what I had said was, you know, first listen, then respond. If you're not a first responder, I, you don't need to be doing outbound communications. Uh, is it swack? Is it stuff we all know? If it, if it is, you can go ahead and post it on your website or put it in social media, but don't send it out in an email. I mean, I feel like I've gotten emails from everybody who had me in a database for the last 20 years that I've never heard from are all of a sudden sending me emails about, you know, how they're telling people to wash their hands. And they care. They care right. about right. right. Is now. it new? And is it in character? Is it customer centric? Is it brief? You know? Uh, yeah. Chris, now I'll tell you what I've done. I've unsubscribed. Uh, oh, a percent, a phrase is another one. Yes. But Persado, P E R S A D O here. I'll type that. The AI engine for subject headlines? Yeah, Phrasey is another one. Yeah, I'm excited to check that out. Um, Can I actually, if, for those who are listening, you know, I've been, I've been making notes of all these different conversations of people's preferred tech PR stack. And so I'm going to get uh, Martin's. I'm going to get the one I got from Sarah Evans and the one I got from uh, Anna at SEMrush. And I'm going to do a post on the blog probably this week. So if you want to get that, go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog and subscribe and you'll get, I'll do a, a post with all the different tools and links to everything. Can I give you one tool that almost feels like an old school tool these days, but I, I love it. It's so great. Evernote. I just I love Evernote. Love it. I love I Evernote. You pay for the premium? Yes, I pay for the premium. It's on my phone. It's on my tablet. It's on my computer screen. And I just find one, it's great. I used to have all these notebooks. I was an incessant note taker, you know, at meetings. And so I'd have bookshelves full of notebooks with notes, but I could never find anything because those notebooks aren't really searchable. With Evernote, oh my gosh, you can find things. I put ideas down. I start writing posts, you know, on my phone, if I'm traveling somewhere, switch to my computer. It, it really works for me. And, you know, everyone um, likes their own uh, note-taking package, but Evernote Premium, I just think is great. One other resource, this is a great book if you want to learn about AI and have a fun read. It's called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You. It's by Janelle Shane. Janelle Shane is <laughs> a great title. Um, I know. Well, what she does is she explains AI and predictions, and, and narrow AI's limitations in really easy to understand, fun and funny language. And she'll do things like she'll train an AI algorithm to come up with flavors of ice cream by feeding in all these flavors. And so the results are sometimes pretty good, but often quite hilarious, bizarre, and, and sometimes really gruesome. So she gives those kinds of examples to explain that the whole book is like that. And she also has a blog. I'm going to type in the name. It's called AI Weirdness. If you want to have some fun with, you know, what AI is and, and learn about it, AIWeirdness.com is uh, just great. So it, that I think 
it's, it's a good book to get into. It's easy to read and uh, fun to learn about. One other AI resource, and that is something you can subscribe to. It's called the Algorithm Newsletter. It's by a journalist named Karen Howe, H-A-O, at MIT Technology Review. I'm just going to type it. Um, what Karen Howe does is she, and you can find it just by going to MIT Tech Review and search the algorithm newsletter. Every Friday, she writes and or curates these stories on AI from an ethics perspective or a more humanist perspective, not necessarily from a tech perspective. Now, when you start reading it, you'll find there are some words you have to look up just because it can get a little bit technical. But after about a month or so, you'll find it really interesting because she, she looks at some of the bigger questions. And really, those are the questions that marketers and communicators need to be thinking out, uh, uh, about with regards to ethics, with regards to bias, um, and also with regards to the whole notion of how the AI transformation across enterprises is going to change organizations' culture. Because as you need to, as you replace more people or more tasks, say, with machines, what are people going to do? How are, how are organizations going to train them? And um, how are you going to ensure that the culture that you built up over years stays the same when people are just living in constant fear that they're going to be gone because of a bot or you know, an algorithm or something like that. So interesting questions and important ones. Lyndall, thanks so much for posting that, that link. I appreciate yes. it. Um, so I want to wrap this up with a discussion about online training because, you know, even in the world of public relations, training has often been a way of making a market. SAP has been very aggressive on the use of training to make a market for new technology so it almost becomes part of the public relations campaign. So what I'd be curious to know from you, having now authored, I think, half a dozen courses with LinkedIn Learning, can you give us some sort of courseware authoring do's and don'ts? Yeah. And again, it comes back to, and it is probably a swack thing to say, but it comes down to what do, what does your audience need to know? And then how can you explain it in a way that's helpful and that isn't speaking down to people, but still explains it in a conversational way? Uh, performance is really important here. What's your delivery? Because if you're just monotone, people just get bored. So how do you keep the energy up? How do you smile? How do you, how do you show that you care in the tone of your voice. And that's not necessarily easy to do. Something else that LinkedIn Learning does, I think really, really well, is rather than having a course that's, you know, a half hour or an hour long webinar and you do these hours, they break it up into three to five minute segments. So you know that, okay, I've got 10 minutes, I can watch two of these. Or I've got an hour, maybe I'll watch five or six of them. You know, and I think that's a really important way of doing it, certainly for the teaching I do. And I, I teach social media at a number of colleges and universities, both in class and online. And 
in class, you know, you're there, you got your three hours of time and you got people's attention while online, you don't have that. So how can you slice and dice it in a way that makes it user friendly? I think shorter is always better, but making sure that you have some sort of link from one to the next. So there is a progression and it's not just a set of here's one, here's another, Here's another, you know, what is that bigger story arc? Story arcs really come into play too. That's interesting. Um, If you haven't secured free access to my basics for SEO for PR course, you still have a few minutes to do that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. So, you know, as sort of an added bonus to people who attend live, the course is free while the class is live. Uh, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. A special thanks to Flux Branding, a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. And you can visit them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Flux Branding. And uh, I also want to thank Digital Dragon where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers. More information at ericschwartzman.com forward slash DD. Now, next week, um, we're going to have a discussion with Ryan Paw about what it takes to get invited to the Forbes Business Councils. Ryan is the CCO of um, Community Company, which operates the Forbes Business Council, the Ad Age Collective, and the Business Journal's Leadership Trust, uh, which are membership communities that afford advertorial publishing opportunities in Forbes Ad Age and local business journals. Um, The week after that, we have a panel of entertainment publicists from film, television, and music talking about putting Hollywood back to work. And the last Wednesday of May, uh, we're going to focus on producing virtual events with the head of growth from Restream, Anya Ronson, who's going to share her checklist for producing must-watch live streaming events. Um, We're all trying to figure out how to reinvent ourselves online, and so... You know, she's an expert in that. And she will talk to us about virtualizing live events, what works, what doesn't. Um, If you're watching this on Periscope, on Facebook Live or YouTube Live, uh, you can ask questions and participate in the live chat every Wednesday. Just sign up at prtechwednesdays.com. You'll get updates about future guests and emails with replays if you miss the live event. And if you're a podcaster, if you enjoy podcast listening, Uh, You can get us on iTunes or Spotify, and uh, please help us grow our community by leaving a review and subscribing. Uh, You can sign up for bonus content on the PR Tech Secrets blog at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. Uh, This has been Eric Schwartzman and Martin Waxman. We'll see you at the next PR Tech Wednesday.